Now, brave and bold ones, witness the dawn of an era as Batman and his old comrade Wildcat plunge into the shadowy world of a new style of crime on the track of a very special spy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of The Brave and the Bob. And I am here with a returning guest. It is Ranger Gord from the Prairie Justice Podcast. How are you, my friend? Howdy there, Billy. How's it going down there in the Great White South? It is going very well. You know, we had some weather conversation here before we started recording, and I have no complaints because it's January and it's in the, the 40s, so no complaints for me. Usually it's the deep freeze by now. <laughs> well, we went through that, but now we're into the Chinook zone, so it's a lot little more moderate. Yeah, good to hear. Always good to hear. I just don't, under, I don't, people that live in the very frigid temperatures, man, God bless them, because I could not do it. <laughs> I can do it, just not for long. Yeah, I'm just, I'm too much of a wuss. If it's more than a couple of days of a deep freeze, I'm like crying like a baby. So yeah, definitely, I, I would never live in like Alaska or Northern Canada. I couldn't take it. I'm not strong enough. <laughs> well, I'm just so glad I don't have to feed cows anymore. <laughs> I'm definitely not as tough as Wildcat. How about that for a segue? <laughs> no, I don't think anyone is. I mean, who else could live 30 or 40 years and still be as lithe and as strong as him and be able to keep up with the Earth One Batman? Mm-hmm. Yep. No, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a segue here, right? Because we're talking about the Brave of the Bold number 110, uh, cover dated December, January 1973, 1974, somewhere in there. Uh, and this one's called A Very Special Spy. Uh, so this one has a cover by Nick Cardi. Because this is a little bit right before the era where Jim Apparel came aboard as the regular penciler and uh, cover artist. So, drawing long at this point, uh, yeah. at bold anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what do you think of this cover here by Nick Cardi? I have a history with this book. Mm -hmm. um, and if I, I'm certain I took it off the stand somewhere uh, in late 1973. It's got a January 74 cover date, but I probably picked it up around, oh, say October, November or so. And uh, I believe I actually mutilated this comic when I had it. <laughs> and uh, the mutilation that I did was I wrote out a subscription. And I wrote a subscription to DC and sent my $3 Canadian to DC and got a subscription to Brave and the Bold. Oh, nice. And Very so nice. the copy would have arrived two uh, issues later with 112, and it was the Super Spectacular with Batman and Mr. Miracle. But I believe it was this issue that sold me that this is the one I want to see. I'd had a, I'd had a few before, but I was just, as I've said before on many occasions, GLA 100 was my gateway drug. It introduced me to so much of the DC universe, the Vigilante included. Yeah. And it also introduced me to Wildcat. And then uh, this is also about the era when all of those reprints are coming out. There's the Super Spectaculars, Secret Origins, Wanted. And ENB, Eel Nelson Bridwell, the historian of DC, was plucking as much Golden Age stuff out there as he could, probably to try to, uh, to secure trademarks, but also to immerse kids like me into the history of the DC. Not, it just doesn't have to be 17 Superman titles and 14 Batman titles. You know, there's so much other layers into the DC universe at that point in time. And this is also the point in time when DC was 
was canceling a lot of their original books like Titans and Green Lantern and the Adam Hawkman series. So they were plunking a lot of reprints out. And I think they were just trying to throw stuff at the wall to see what sticks. And as well, let's show kids, you know, what is in our other universes, especially since Len Wein wants to be introducing all of these characters into Justice League anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the yeah, cup itself, sorry. Um, yeah, this... Uh, Okay, it's Batman on the ground about to be shot and run over. So not <laughs> the place where he's usually at. And, of course, Wildcat's uh, coming to the rescue. He's the cavalry. He's jumping over what appears to be a, a building in his cat cycle. <laughs> and uh, it's this rendering of Wildcat that has been used a lot. Uh, you know, as cutouts and paste-ups in various places over the over time, at least through the 1970s. And uh, boy, him and this cycle just look badass. And as we'll see, he's never far away from a motorbike anywhere. It's sort of like another guy with a cowboy hat that I'm interested in. Always <laughs> gas eating Bronco around. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you you need to get yourself a motorcycle if you don't have one, sir. <laughs> You know, at that point in time, and we'll get talk about this later, I was just into motorsports. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I had a motorbike yet, but I wasn't far away from getting one. And, uh, boy, I, you know, threw myself into a lot of ditches and gopher holes and things like that with the, with the motorbike <laughs> that I had. And uh, I think I was on my back on that motorbike more than I ever was um, riding it down the highway much. And to this at, at this point in time, I would never buy a bike to try to ride down the road. But man, I was, I was dirt biking around the farm a lot at that point in time, around when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. And Evil Knievel, of course, was always over the news and in the movies. So, you know, motorsports was a big thing. And I don't know if you have the original to look at, but there's uh, things that are marketed to kids like AFX uh, slot car racing as an ad in this book and there's an also an ad for the ssp smash up derby boy isn't that just a great role model for kids like this cars <laughs> and smash them to pieces <laughs> join the cars fly off, hoods fly off <laughs> oh yeah but yeah you're not kidding this is a really good cover and especially because of wildcat but yeah these crooks here these criminals they really want to kill batman because not only is there a guy leaning over the windshield of this convertible you know, they're going to run him over, but they're going to shoot him first and then run him over, I guess. So they really want him dead. <laughs> yeah, well, there's going to be a c- tremendous crash here. This is one of those covers you say, and we don't have to tell you what happened next. <laughs> uh, the cattle cycle is going straight into the windshield of this car. And on to mm-hmm. the <laughs> Yeah, so. Insurance underwriter's nightmare. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. There's a great full moon in the background. Mm-hmm. And trade dress, uh, the Batman and Wildcat logos are in black. And it's it's just amazing. You know, you can't read this book in the daylight. Yeah, and only one text piece on there, a, a box, and it says a very special spy. So yeah, that's that's good, too. It, it really, you know, they let Cardi here, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, show off his skills here. So, yeah, really, really good cover. So, all right. Well, yeah, a very special spy. This is a, a script, uh, Zany Bob Haney, 
pencils and inks, Jim Aparo, and letters as well. Uh, you know, we got Batman and Wildcat in this one, and <laughs> we have some other interesting characters in here I can't wait to uh, talk about. And the story is broken up into three, you know, parts or chapters like they did uh, frequently in uh, this uh, title, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so normally I would, you know, go to like DC Fandom or somewhere and read a synopsis for the story to kind of set things up. But the synopsis they have on DC Fandom is a mile long and would give away every last thing we're going to talk about. So I figured we would just jump right in and you and I would, you know, start going through it, you know, uh, ourselves here rather than do that. So, uh, you know, why don't we talk about this uh, opening splash page here with the, you know, uh, cars crashing and it looks like somebody's going to get run over here and Batman's there and uh, some other executive types, right? There's no setup. They're not even really telling you where you are. they are, but I know where they are. They're in Utah, the Bonneville Salt Flats. But they only say that, the lone and level salt. It's a very nondescript sort of a, a location. But, you know, they don't tell you why Batman's there or or who the guy in the suit that he's standing beside is. But he's obviously the center of attention and a lot, a lot of film crews. So, you know, as I said, this is a time when I was really into motorsports. So this has appealed to me. You know, I'd, I'd watch the Indianapolis 500 and. There was always dirt car, stock car races around where I lived at that point in time. That That's long gone now. But, you know, so this is a lot of what was the, the kind of thing that appealed to me. We got to see my superheroes sort of on a ground level. And uh, we're going to get the Bob Haney style of villains that we talked about before. There are no supervillains here. We'll see who our villains are. And none of them are wearing garish costumes. <laughs> no, they are not. But yeah, you can see in the background, it says there's a banner that says Miracle 2000 Test. And there are two uh, cars side by side, almost like they're racing. But yeah, there's a guy throwing himself out in front of these two oncoming uh, cars. And this is uh, part one, the gloves of gold. And, you know, there's a on our next page. We see there's a one of the drivers is like there's a question mark a balloon like, uh oh, what's going on here? And this guy's laying flat face down. And Batman swoops in to uh, grab him and get him out of the way of being run over. Uh, I thought that was a pretty interesting way to open this story here. Yes, it very much is. I don't know. I just noticed. I never noticed in all the years I've been looking at this comic. There's, there's a guy with the starter pass pistol going kapow. Uh -huh. you know, that level of Jim Apparel detail. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, and the detail on the figures like Batman and two other gentlemen in the forefront there is crazy, like buttons on the cuffs and details on their hands and everything like Batman. You can see the muscles below his arm and everything like, yeah, apparel was fantastic here. And the pers perspective is straight out of art school. You know, the biggest thing you see is this one executive's hands and the smallest thing you see is the cars in the corner. You know, so you've got to cut, cut this vanishing point headed off towards the start line. Yeah, it's a really good perspective shot there. But yeah, so <laughs> this poor guy almost gets run over and uh, Batman says, what's with the suicide bit, mister? And the guy says, it wasn't a suicide attempt, only a personal protest against this test. And he says, I am Peter Voss and I accuse your company, Mr. Ted Grant, the Triton Corporation, of stealing the formula for the miracle fuel additive discovered years ago in Holland by my dead father, Hans Voss. So, yeah, some uh, intrigue uh, right away here, like you said, but not, you know, the Joker or anything like that. Almost like uh, 
industrial uh, intrigue here, right? Yeah, and uh, this is our introduction to who the guy in the very stylish suit. My God, this 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 suit is styling. This is straight out of Plaid Stallions. <laughs> Got an orange tie and a lime green and black striped shirt and a green sport jacket. I mean, this guy's straight out of Argosy magazine. He looks like he should be advertising cigars and scotch. And the great gray temples, you know, which is actually more better well done here than it ever does in Fantastic Four with Reed Richards. You know, it's sort of a graying hair as opposed to a gray templed hair. And yeah. we realize that this is Ted Grant. And oh. if you've been reading a few reprints, I know who Ted Grant is. <laughs> yeah, you might have heard of him, but yeah, it's interesting that one of the reporters says, Ooh, this is a story we didn't figure on. And Ted says, you must be kidding, fella. And the guy says, uh, Peter Voss is his name. He says, this subpoena is no joke. Triton shall never profit from my father's discovery. I shall see you and your fellow corporate thieves in court, Mr. Grant. So this is a really, really cool setup here. I like this, how, you know, it starts out with that guy jumping in front of the cars. There's a lot of action. And now there's all this intrigue set up with, you know, this guy coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, you stole my father's, uh, you know, formula here and uh, I'm taking you to court over it. So a really good setup here, right? We're going to have quite the law and order uh, discussions here as we go through uh, the case here. Uh, this is a man that's suing the corporation. So he is, I guess, what you call the plaintiff, and he's delivering his own process. He's delivering his own subpoena in the form of a stunt protest. Mm -hmm. And then Ted says, I'm calling off the test. Batman, you know everything. Who was Hans Moss? And of course... Batman does know everything. So uh, he, he replies, a Dutch petroleum scientist before World War II. The story was he did discover an additive formula for getting more energy from oil. So that's really interesting how Ted's like, you know everything, Batman. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah, I, I guess besides the fact that, uh, you know, subpoena pro, uh, process servers don't get anywhere near Ted Grant other than this. And, uh, yeah, and we get the idea of the additive formula. And I believe we're calling this a fuel additive, but not an oil additive. And as you know, there's just two different things you get for, into to use in a car from oil, the, the lubricating oil and the fuel oil. So they are, when I first started going through this last night, and I, went, and I, I don't know, this is the way my brain thinks. I couldn't figure out what it was an additive to the lubrication or an additive to the fuel. So I've, if you ever read a lot of hot rod magazines back in the day, I had a brother that was much older than me and he, he, I used to read all his old hot rod magazines and every other page was a fuel additive. Ad. STP was the big one. Oh yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, people did know what fuel additives were. I'm not too sure how many kids reading comics did, but I do remember that. And there's there's two ways you would get, stretch your oil out. Either the fuel additive would uh, help out with the lubrication, the way lead used to, when we had lead in our gasoline, or it would be an octane booster. So this must be quite the octane booster. And apparently this was something going back to World War II and the armies were, you know, going back and needing, you know, to get more miles, you know, for their planes and tanks and jeeps and such. And it's been lost ever since, I guess. 
Yeah, and Ted, <laughs> uh, Batman <laughs> says to Ted that, you know, oh, this guy Voss was killed in a bomb raid and the formula was lost, if it really ever did exist. And then uh, uh, Ted says, I see something similar to our own ad of Miracle 2000. Come on, we're flying back to company headquarters. So Batman gets on the corporate jet of this Triton with Ted. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, if you're a superhero and you're trying to keep your identity secret, you probably wouldn't want to hang out with other superheroes and act like you're good buddies. That might tip people off, right? I mean, no? Well, I guess this is where <laughs> we are yeah, in Bob Haney world. <laughs> Pardon me. I guess the before we go any further, I guess the elephant in the room is what earth are we on? And yeah. forget it. <laughs> forget it. You know, <laughs> this nominally could be the wildcat from the 1940s being 30 years older, you know, in his 50s and such. And that's what he looks like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being the fighter he was, he would keep himself into the fighting trim. Mm -hmm. But we've absolutely got a young life Batman here. So forget it. Let's just move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't ask Let's questions. not go there. That way lies madness. <laughs> But it's not yeah. affect the story one way or the other. This is just going to be a good story. Yeah, so I love how they get on this plane to go back to the uh, corporate headquarters, and he has a, a speed bag, Ted Grant does, set up on the plane itself, and he starts doing some uh, speed bag work here while he talks to Batman. <laughs> He's got a gym in the Learjet. Yeah, yeah, Batman, some setup. How come the ex-champ is now an oil executive? And Ted says, I don't know, a pipeline from an uppercut. But when I retired from the ring, I was broke. Triton offered me a public relations vice presidency, which means I fly around creating goodwill for the company. I get paid well and meet lots of my old fans. And again, that's pretty interesting. Uh, an ex-boxer. I don't know that I've ever heard of ex-boxers getting offered corporate jobs. But hey, what do I know, right? <laughs> well, these days you get offered Senate seats. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> and it's funny, too. They, then they're on the plane and he says, and how does Wildcat fit into the new Ted Grant lifestyle? And he says, Ted says, Wildcat, that corny superhero identity doesn't go with today's executive image, Batman. I operate smooth and clever and strictly out front. So he's basically saying he, Wildcat's retired, right? Yeah. Well, if you, last night in preparation, Wildcat has appeared uh, two other times in the 90s in Brave and Bold with Batman. And, uh, Last night in preparation, before I read this thing for the 2500th time, I read the other two uh, team-ups. Mm. And in both of those, Ted Grant is on hard times. Oh, okay. When he and the Earth One Batman first meet, uh, Bruce Wayne is trying to draft him to teach a, an Olympic, uh, a junior Olympic boxing club. And uh, he, he's been sued and he's lost his gym. He really is on his last legs. And in the other team up, I'm sorry, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Uh, people can look these up. Um, Wildcat is is battling in Mexico or in Central America under <laughs> his Wildcat um, persona as El Tigre. You know, so Ted Grant has seen some hard times. Whenever you want to say that his heavyweight champion uh, salad days were or, or his best of times. And I think this speaks to something else. If you'd have wrote this story today, probably nobody would have said boxing. That's passe. Everybody's into MMA or martial arts or, or mm -hmm. wrestling now. Boxing in the 70s was huge. 
Oh, yeah. You know the first name that comes into your head and my head when you say boxing in the 70s, Muhammad Ali. And, you know, from the 40s to the 70s, and there's a good reason why Ted Grant is the heavyweight champion of the world and why Bill Finger made that his secret ID, because it was huge in the 30s and 40s with Joe Lewis and his famous fight at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. Uh And uh, a boxer was a celebrity. Yeah. Uh, That's the people that appeared on your Battle of the Network stars or at the Dean Martin roast, things like that. And everybody knew who the boxers are. I still have my George Foreman grill, you know. (laughs) I think I I actually might as well. (laughs) Then after Mike Tyson kind of, to me, laid waste to the uh, to the sport, you know, with his antics, uh, the boxing just is is a lot more passe now. But uh, it was the sport of kings you know, from the 40s through to the probably the 1980s. Yeah, probably even into the early 80s there. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right on the money. So, yeah. you know, you know, we kind of laugh, you know, that uh, these days Ted Grant would have to be a senator to get any attention. But, you know, the oil business itself, and I, I live in a, this is probably another reason this uh, story appeals to me. I live in an energy producing part of Canada. Uh, to the point where the politics are just absolutely silly here. Uh, we're sort of the Texas of the North. And so I always grew up around the industry. In fact, I even worked out in it for a little bit as I came out. And oil executives were the people that were on the cover of the newspapers in uh, Calgary Herald, Edmonton Journal, and other papers at the time. And they were the ones that were always getting on the TV. So it you know, grabbing a heavyweight boxing champ, you know, from a masculine sort of a sport and throwing them into another sort of a toxic masculinity called oil companies, it's not a bad marriage to me. Gotcha. Yeah, well, they, I mean, they, look. look, look it seems like they go back and forth over the entire plane ride here. And <laughs> Batman says, maybe this Voss thing is a problem Wildcat could sink a claw into. <laughs> Ted, no way, Batman. We're here. Now I got to report to the top man. And we meet some of these uh, uh, unscrupulous people that Ted works for here. And <laughs> the uh, top man, B.B. Sanford, who's the president, says, this lawsuit's ridiculous. Come on, champ, Batman. I'll introduce you to the man who really discovered Miracle 2000. And they go to a laboratory and we have a, a scientist looking fellow here with glasses and a lab coat. And he says, uh, This is Bill Bradshaw, who came up with the additive right here in this lab. And Bradshaw says, of course, I've heard of old Hans Voss work. Who hasn't? But he never published or patented his experiment. I came up with Miracle 2000 on my own. It'll help solve the world energy crisis until the year 2000. Yeah, good luck with that, pal. (laughs) Well, first of all, the refinery appears to have its own airstrip. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the airstrip. Uh, I don't know. I, I live around refineries. I don't know of any that have their own airstrips. Maybe down in Houston they do. And then again, there's so many nondescript locations. We don't know where we've headed from and where we're going to. It's certainly not Gotham. Mm-mm, no, I do love that panel, though, where you see the airplane uh, descending and you see the refinery. Like Aparo's work, even in a small panel like that, is very defined. And then you even see the name Triton in small letters on the top of the one building. It's it's incredible. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. 
Jim Jim must have had a good reference library. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, of course. Again, uh, Bob Haney borrowing from pop culture of the time. B.B. Sanford is the name of the. Uh, this is going to be a, well. We don't we don't know if he's going to be our villain yet. I think I just dropped the ball here. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> The big sh- one of the big shows on the on TV at the time was Sanford and Son, and uh, of course one of the uh, characters that used to appear on Sanford and Son from time to time was BB King. Yep, great show by the way, hilarious yep. show, love it. <laughs> so uh, Bob just Bob just grabs these names. Yeah, probably from the TV the night before he was watching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've, we've talked about that before. Mm, yeah, so this uh, Sanford guy, yes, sir, it's a miracle. <laughs> All right, which will make Triton the world's richest corporation because it's rightfully ours. I thought, oh, boy, here we go. Like, if that's not a telltale sign for anybody living, uh, you know, it's, it's been alive since these times and it's still alive now, that kind of uh, has a ring to it. Like, yep, this... Uh, <laughs> We know we know what kind of person this guy is, right? <laughs> and this is going to stopgap us until the year two thousand, when atomic fuel will ruin will run everything. Wow! <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Isn't Remember it? when the atomic fuel stations took over back there in two thousand? It was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, my pickup is running on pure uranium right now. Yeah, no, your not your pickup, your. Uh... A DeLorean, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but then we get, you know, later in Ted Grant's office. And Ted's got a really huge, nice office. And he's got a pair of golden boxing gloves on his desk. And he says, well, Batman, now we know everything's okay. And Batman says, do we, Ted? How come Bradshaw's lab equipment's not set up for hydrocarbon research or any other kind of serious chemistry? And he Uh, says, what? (laughs) <laughs> Fortunately, we can just look up two panels and see our uh, our alliteratively named scientist. We know he's a scientist because he's got a lab coat and pens in his pocket, mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of stuff in behind. And for some reason, Bruce Wayne, millionaire, knows that this is not a hydrocarbon lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you know? A hydrocarbon lab from a crime lab from a well yeah and then he says or any other kind of serious chemistry and i'm looking behind that guy and i'm thinking that actually does look exactly what most people would think of a chemist lab right am i wrong I here see, or? i see some pretty serious chemistry going on back there. <laughs> not this, according to batman i guess <laughs> maybe this you know maybe this is pharmacy flat pharmacy flasks or something like that maybe he's just got a a little uh, drugstore back there. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe he's in business with Tony Montana or something here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe Bill Bradshaw is cooking meth. <laughs> but Ted doesn't believe it. He goes, huh, what are you talking about? And Batman says, I'm saying something slightly rotten in Triton's miracle. Add that to Peter Voss's desperate act, and you've got a case Batman better look into. Check you later, Mr. Vice Prez. <laughs> Batman throwing some, you know, cocky attitude there at Ted, right? Yeah, and now we're going to the Voss Research Company, which is where? (laughs) A nearby office lab of Voss Research Company, but nearby as in where? Five minutes away or 50 miles away? We we don't know. (laughs) Exactly. We don't know if he's in the same place or whether he's in New York or 
Taktiaktak or Calgary? I don't know. Yeah, it's and Batman goes to this guy's lab and starts talking to him about it and says, okay, Peter Voss, how could Triton steal a formula from you that was lost over 30 years ago if it ever existed? And Peter says, it did exist. Before, my fa- before he was killed, my father told me he had found the formula. Even then, he feared it might be stolen, so he secreted it in code until the patent was granted. But the patent office and his application were also destroyed in the same bomb raid. And he goes, I salvaged his personal records and came here to America. For years, I've tried to decipher the formula from the records, but failed. But L.K. Dowling did not fail. And he says, who in blazes is L.K. Dowling? And he goes, him. And he holds a photo up to Batman's face there. Wow, what a great panel that is where he's holding that photo to Batman. Is that great or what? Yes, here's the head and shoulder shot of L.K. Dowling. Today in NCIS, we just wave our arms and a computer image would appear. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and he goes, a brilliant chemist who came to work for me a year ago. He worked for a low salary, saying science was more important than money. One night, I caught Dowling going through my father's records. He said it was because he he so much admired my father's work. He quit soon after. Two months later, Triton announced the discovery of Miracle 2000. So that does sound pretty shady there, right? I guess Peter does have some grounds for, you know, his uh, lawsuit. And it explains why he's serving his own processes. Mm-hmm. He, you goes, know, he looks like he's probably on the brink himself. He hasn't been able to sell anything out of his lab because uh, his one product has been stolen somehow, but he doesn't even know he had it. Yeah, and then it's not going to be... How, how does he know he's stolen when he couldn't figure it out? <laughs> right. I guess he figures that guy stole it and is smarter than him, but... There are two panels on these pages here, five and six, where we see this crazy looking alien statue, which does not fit what's going on in this laboratory. And of course, right now, it means nothing, but will come into play later, right? A little bit of avant-garde art here. <laughs> yeah. It kind of looks like, uh, oh, I don't know, the John Ostrander, John Jones Martian Manhunter was somebody has poked some pencil holes through it. Well, it was before it was uh, fire killed. Yeah, very bizarre looking, and he says, Voss says, I'm sure somehow Dowling deciphered the code and stole the formula. Now all I have left of my father are his records and that worthless piece of art. Sculpture was his hobby, and Batman's kind of got his arms crossed, and he's looking at it, and he goes, far out story, Voss. Can you prove it? <laughs> Batman saying far out. Okay, all right. I'll buy it. <laughs> we, we had this chat before, <laughs> and I got to say... In 1974-75, this was on the verge of the edge of the hippie movement. I was saying far out all the time. I was known as the far out kid. Everybody says anything. To, you know, if you got back into the 80s after Moon Unit Zappa's song, uh, Valley Girl, everybody all of a sudden was saying, awesome, awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. And until the point was the, the word means nothing. Well, in 19, the 1970s, it was far out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Voss gets pissed at Batman, and he says, I must find out, or I must prove it. My father meant the formula to be free for all mankind. Triton will use it to make huge profits. I must stop them. And Batman monologues to himself, maybe I'm barking up the wrong pipeline, but I think Voss's cause is a worthy one for Batman. And I could not help but think of Back around, you know, the turn of the century into the early 1920s, um, there were two gentlemen here in the United States that were uh, 
basically competing to do the same things. And one was uh, on the outs with the government and another one was in with the government and big corporations about electricity. Um, that would have been Edison and Tesla. Yes, that's that's that screamed to me what Haney was uh, getting at here, you know, because one of them basically did uh, a lot of things on his own and kind of got shunned because he was a kind of a weird dude. And the other one played along with corporations in the government. And, you know, now when a, a kid goes to school in the United States, you don't hear the word. I'm sorry, the name Tesla at all. But you hear a lot about Edison. I found this uh, very interesting. Well, yeah, the word Ed, name Edison, say, around World War One was on everything. It was on Victrolas. It was on movie projectors, record players, you name it. Uh, consolidated Edison Power Company, that sort of a thing. Now everybody says Tesla cars. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so that was Tesla. And as it turns out, you know, Tesla's uh, theories and there are a lot of Tesla profits out there and I don't want to get into it. But basically, Tesla's theories is the basis of what is now Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Edison, yeah. on, on, on his principles of DC current, probably could never have figured out Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're not kidding. And what do you think of this splash page right underneath there? Like, it's about a two-thirds splash page here right underneath this conversation between Boss and Batman. This is really good. This is another Batman comic called Detective Comics. This is the Batman I love. Yeah. The one who who gets into uh, files, the one who finds out the past and finds out what's happening. And there's, oh, it's just a great montage. You know, he's mm-hmm. going into the New York Stock Exchange and he's uh, looking through files, but not with a flashlight. You know, there's a guy standing right there cooperating with him. You know, and there's stories about pipelines being sabotaged. There's stocks being exchanged and and uh, a guy being gunned down at one point, And, of course, it all in concentric circles into Batman's head. Yeah, it's just, oh, man, a power was something else. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's only about two-thirds of the page, but you literally get five different scenes in this one two-thirds page. It's just incredible. And, again, you know, uh, Batman there thinking at the bottom right, which is the end here of that page. And he's thinking only one piece missing in the jigsaw a piece named L.K. Dowling. So he realizes that's that's what's missing here. He needs to find that guy and uh, see what's going on here and find him, and he's the missing piece that'll bring all this together, right? And I think what we need to kind of get used to in this story, some time is passing. Uh, Batman is obviously, you know, he's going to the New York Stock Exchange from wherever he was before, and he's doing some <laughs> traveling. People have been doing some traveling. We've been going from the salt flats to the refinery to wherever the Voss lab is and to wherever Batman is doing all this uh, investigating, which seems to be more than one place. Well, yeah, you figure if he's at the New York, the stock exchange, that's in New York. And now you flip the page and he's in a very special office in Washington, D.C. So Batman's uh, I guess he's logging a lot of uh, air miles on the Batjet, right? I think in the, the the whole beginning to end, we're not really seeing, you know, how much time is passing. This this story might take place over a month, maybe more. Yeah, it's funny, too. Batman takes this uh, photo that uh, I think it was Voss gave him of that uh, man, that Dowling. Dowling, yeah. Gives it to this, uh, uh, I guess he's probably like, you know, a, a guy that works for this Bureau of Industrial Espionage. So I don't know oh, if he's just oh, an I agent. Talk about this. 
Oh, yeah, I, don't I had to go. Okay, the Bureau of Industrial Espionage, the good old BIE. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I'm as anal as I am, I had to go and look and just plug those words in Bureau of Industrial Espionage. And so, po- pardon me, this is riveting podcasting. I'm doing some Googling. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, we have the Bureau of Industrial Research. But no, what I ended up actually finding was the Bureau of Industrial Security mm. set up in that great year of our Lord, 2001. <laughs> they were riffing off Haney here. That's what happened. Yes, Haney, Haney exactly. something unknowingly 30 years later. <laughs> George Bush, you stole from Bob Haney. <laughs> you know, I love when sometimes something like this will happen in these comics. And I'll think to myself, boy, I've never heard of that. I wonder if that's for real. And I'll look it up, and I feel like the majority of the time, either the name was just changed. It is something real, but the name was changed. But then there are some times where the only reference that pops up is the comic book I'm reading. So it was it was a Haneyism. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> it makes sense, and I assume you know this would be the FBI, and they've just you know been shunted off to a a unit of oh, well, we're in Washington for the first time. They've actually told us where we are. We're in Washington, so I'm assuming we're probably at some adjunct of the FBI or state or God knows what. But a division, yeah. <laughs> or Shield or Task Force X, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Well, this guy tells Batman that this guy's name is not Dowling; it's Braddock. So I don't know if he's you know some Eastern European hired gun. He tells him that corporations call in to steal secrets from another company. So. Now things are starting to kind of fall in place here where, you know, Voss, what he theorized is on the level that this Raddick, a.k.a. Dowling guy, went to work for him to steal secrets for Triton, right? Yeah. Isn't this a typical Jim Apparel uh, character? Oh, the pipe. <laughs> Everybody smokes a pipe in Jim Apparel's world. <laughs> yeah, the guy, he's very similar to Jim Gordon looking, but just younger. But, yep, he's got the shirt, the tie, the coat, and the pipe. Yep. There's going to be a pipe or a big cigar or a cigarette. Jim Apparel loves the smoke. Mm-hmm. So Batman's in Washington, D.C., and that next night, a familiar figure moves across a certain roof. He's made it all the way back to wherever the Triton Corporation is, which we still don't know where that is because they were in Utah. Then they got on a plane and went to Triton, and we never knew where that was. So I don't know if he's across the country or he's in you know, uh, Podunk, Mississippi. I don't know where he is right now. I'm going to say Houston. I'm going to be brave. <laughs> there somewhere and Oklahoma. That's this, like where, where he's back at the refinery and he's going towards this sign. And now I, I know that Tahini is probably not trying to riff, but maybe he is. Doesn't this look a little bit Dick Sprangish? Oh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, with the big you know, sign all lit up. Yeah, Batman. Yeah. No, apparel's never going to do anything like, you know, go towards a, a giant typewriter or anything like that. No, but, uh, I think this might be a bit of an homage to Dick Sprang, who always would have Batman and Robin going towards something gigantic across the Gotham skyline. Yeah, it very well could be. But yeah, he he, he sneaks into uh, a dim office in the deserted building and he's looking through files and trying to connect this Raddick guy to Triton. And I like that bottom panel, too, where Batman has his tiny little flashlight and he's looking through these files and you see two shadows right behind him, right? 
Yeah, yeah, the, the private dicks are behind you. And we just ended part one, Billy. Ended part one. Oh, commercial. That's like that's like three comics nowadays. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I love how part two starts out just exactly like part one started out in the fact that it's just action right in your face from the first panel here. This is great, right? Oh, it's a paro action, so therefore I'm going to feel all of these hits on Monday morning. <laughs> a, a nightstick in Batman's head, and some guy gets an elbow in the ribs from Batman. I'll tell you, when a paro draws Batman hitting someone, you're going to feel that bruise for a week. Yeah, this is great. It's like a six-panel grid, but it's a little bit uh, offset. They're not all the same exact size, but yeah, uh, Batman, the, the Dark Knight detective, you know, uh, this does this ever happen in modern comics where Batman gets, you know, uh, sneak attacked by two just uh, renacops and he gets cracked over the head with a, a baton here? I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and the guards are just about ready to fire a bullet into his head. Yeah, I'll, hold yeah. Him. I'll drill him. <laughs> yeah, and they got him. He could probably do it. Mm hmm. Yeah. They, so but this, the, the, yeah, the old, the old Batman, the old bat luck. Uh, <laughs> comes into play here. Suddenly, walk. We see uh, somebody punch the uh, Renacop that's ready to shoot Batman in the head and knocks that guy out, right? Yep. And uh, that punch, too, it's got electricity to it. Oh, yep. Danny Rand. <laughs> no, it's not the Iron Fist. <laughs> it looks like it is, though. <laughs> it's even better. It's Ted Grant. Ted Grant, boxer to the rescue of Batman. Yeah, and then Batman clobbers the guy that was trying to, you know, hit him with the, the billy club again here and knocks him out. And you know, Ted says, come on, let's get out of here. And he uh, then says, I was, he goes, I was wondering, working late, heard the noise. I don't think those two security goons got a good look at me in the dim light. And Batman goes, but they recognized me. And they know somebody's interested in the personnel file. And then Ted goes, yeah, just what were you doing? And Batman says, let me fill you in. So a few minutes later, I love, uh, always love when there's, you know, Haney comics and uh, they have these transitions. A few minutes later, soon, in a while, later. It's just, I love them. <laughs> Finer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he lets Ted in on uh, what's uh, been going on. And Ted's really pissed off and slams his hand against the... Uh, the desk and Batman tries to be like, hey, calm down. A lot of this happened before you joined Triton. So, you know, don't, you know, lose your cool here. And he goes, no, Batman, in the ring, I took responsibility for low blows or not fighting my best. I never griped or alibi and I'm not starting now. So here we go. Uh, what about this panel here where he has a key and opens up his uh, secret uh, closet here? Well, this was always the great thing I always loved. I always loved how superheroes changed. You know, and this is the great one. Here's the closet, and he just happens to bring into his corporate office his uh, his wildcat costume. Yeah, and I'll... even on the hanger, it looks great. Yeah, and I love his dialogue. I always tried to be a champ, but I guess you were right. It'll take more than an executive image to KO this setup. So, wildcat rides again, and Batman, right on. <laughs> right on, right on, right on. <laughs> 
He's been cool. listening to a Cheech and Chong album. I yeah. think so. <laughs> well, hey, maybe there was something in that pipe when he was back in DC. <laughs> <laughs> Give him that Cheech and Chong vibe. <laughs> that album. <laughs> so, uh, another transition on the next page. Soon, uh, there we have Batman and Wildcat with the full moon in the background, and uh, they're creeping around. And uh, he goes, "Look, those are two security guards talking to Sanford." And Batman says, "Now he knows somebody's onto things." Who's the other guy? And then uh, Wildcat says, Man, Freddy, head of security for the plant. A tough cookie. And Batman, you bet he is. I recognize him now. A top underworld enforcer. Something's up. <laughs> That's a handy now, thing right there, I feel. <laughs> another Bob Haney telepathic TV connection. Right now, the show going on on Paramount called Tulsa King, I believe. Sylvester Stallone plays a mobster named Dwight Manfredi. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so I love it. Now on, our, our head of security is Sylvester Stallone. Mm, yeah, but I love how Batman describes him there, too. He's like a top underworld enforcer. Something's up. And again, another really good panel where, you know, uh, Paro did some really great work on uh, Batman and Wildcat here really good uh you know detail to them and then in the background you have these guys where again there's still detail as well you can see the guy's suit the color of his tie it's a red and black striped tie like incredible batman knows all the goons <laughs> here in houston he knows that there's an underworld enforcer that's the head of security <laughs> right even in a strange city he knows who the baddies are <laughs> yeah this is the morrison bat god coming out Mm-hmm. And then half, half an hour later, by security guards, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, security just randos can beat him up. But he knows this and knows that. Oh yeah, <laughs> I guess that club to the head didn't give him amnesia, which I'm kind of surprised. Exactly. Return of me, return of evil. <laughs> but uh, half an hour later, a powerful limousine leaves the company's gates, <laughs> and we just happen to have. Because we always got to have a gas-eating Bronco around. Sanford and Moretti are leaving, and Ted Grant has the cattle cycle stashed. Yeah, uh, I, I love it. Problem, and I brought my cat-looking motorcycle and my cat-looking costume to the refinery. <laughs> I love it. He's jumping over like a six-foot-high fence, it looks like, too. So that's a really cool panel there, right? Yeah, I always leave a ramp by the fence just in case. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get another time jump here so they're they are giving us some uh, clue as it stands, uh, <laughs> later on in the story here hour after hour the lone cyclist shadows the big car and he goes heading east where are they going and until near dawn the company hunting lodge so uh the company has its own hunting lodge apparently right <laughs> yeah and apparently this is in the mountains <clears throat> mm -hmm. so we got some nice big pine trees huge pine trees Oh, maybe it's not Houston. Yeah, and then, wow. This next one, and we got palm trees. <laughs> yeah. And this, this next maybe page. Denver, Miami. Yeah, this next page blew my mind. How about this? So a, a wildcat starts sneaking around here, and, oh, who are they talking to inside the hunting lodge? And it's that Raddick guy, that industrial spy Batman clued me in on. And they're talking to him about what's going on, you know, uh, Sanford and that man Freddy guy. And they have a shotgun uh, pointed at him. And, you know, Wildcat doesn't know what to do other than, well, I'm going to jump in and try to save this guy because not only does he not want to see him get killed, 
he realizes this guy is the you know the missing link to this whole uh, story here, right? I'm gonna jump. Can three through a plate glass window, take a shotgun blast, and that's my plan. That's a wildcat <laughs> plan. Yeah, just jump headfirst into it with no real plan other than to yell. And he yells to that erratic to run. Society. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they blast him at point blank range here. I couldn't believe it. They shoot Wildcat, right? Yeah. And of course, being comics, he takes it in the shoulder. Yeah, armpit shot, it looks like. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, Sanford says, you can finish him. Get, get Raddick. He's going for the car. And there's Wildcat laying there. And you do see blood, which you do not see often in comics from this era, right? Yeah, there's a bit of blood. And I was just about to say, hey, man, Freddie, you have another barrel there. But he takes another shot at this car. So that explains. Wait a minute. He got two shots. He got one shot of a double barrel. Now he's doing two shots. I guess he must have reloaded between panels. Yeah, I think so, because he unloads, and the blasts are uh, not looking like much of a shotgun blaster on page 12. It looks like a single bullet, boom, 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 kapow, kapow, ting, uh, flying at the car, right? (laughs) Yeah, first rule of comics, don't count the cartridges. (laughs) Yeah, really, that in a Dirty Harry movie. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, Wildcat has gotten his second wind here, because he was laying on the floor prone, almost like he was going to die. But he still got enough uh, cojones to jump out the window off of the second floor and onto the car yelling, drive, drive, get us clear or we're both dead. And Raddick just goes, oh, and we do see there is a bullet hole in the window, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. we have definitely, well, we got a bullet hole from a shotgun. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll count the cartridges. <laughs> It, it was an over-under with a high-powered rifle on top. I don't know. Yeah, pretty wild here. But the, the Wildcat realizes he's dead. Yow, I'm hit again. So he got shot again as well? Yeah, exactly. Now, it looks like he's limping. So he took one in the leg. Well, he's yeah. the, that's why he's the champ. Yeah, and then uh, the, uh, uh, our uh, narrator here now, as the ex-world's champ dodges into the brush, and he goes, got to get clear. Ugh. Never thought two slugs could be so heavy. And then we see the guys in the background running towards him in the uh, car, right? Yeah. <laughs> what does the, the guy say? I love this. He'll die like a shot deer in the brush and never be found. Forget him. <laughs> and Dowling, well, here he is. Like, he's basically sprawled out of the car, <laughs> eggs in the floor, hunting accident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dead. In a hunting accident. I'm thinking in a smashed car, halfway laying out of it with a bullet wound. Uh, yeah. That might raise some questions. Yeah, he, he just tied his yellow car around the old oak tree, but dead in a hunting accident. <laughs> and then we have uh, Wildcat as he's slipping into unconsciousness, saying to himself, can't move, passing out. Batman, I goofed it. <laughs> yeah, he did all right. And then we get an interlude of Batman here. What's Batman up to here? This is this is where the story really went wild too, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, we don't know if he's the bat plane or as we know from other B&Bs that Batman does fly coach. Yep, he does. <laughs> the Batman? Just where is he? Thousands of miles away by jetliner. A city in Holland. And this is insane, right? Okay, go ahead. I'll tell you why it's insane after you tell me why it's insane. <laughs> 
Well, first of all, he's in a city in Holland that was bombed in a raid in World War II. But this is 30 years later, and it's still in ruins? Um, I don't know how much you know about Holland or Dutch people. Holland in 1945 was liberated by Canada, by the way. At any rate, because of that liberation of Canada, I live around a lot of Dutch people because people that were dispossessed came to Canada, uh, were impressed by Canadians, got jobs as farmhands, and many of them became extremely prosperous ranchers and dairy farmers and other kinds of farmers here around southern Alberta. So I know Dutch people. I was raised all around them. And there's one thing I do know them, they are fastidious as hell. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. If Holland got liberated on May 7th, they would have had a prayer service and a celebration on May 8th. And by May 10th, there would have been brooms and hammers and sickles going together. They would never have allowed uh, an old lab, an old building to sit around Arnhem or Amsterdam or Rotterdam or wherever this is. <laughs> I'm telling you, this would have been in tulips by June. Mm, yeah, that was like, wait a minute, Dutch what? And the cleanest. They they can't stand a mess. <laughs> and I thought Batman monologues to himself, Hans Voss's old lab, still in ruin. Something drew me here. Could there be a clue to all this in the rubble? And then Batman's looking through the rubble, and it says, but as he skillfully sips the 30-year-old debris, he says nothing. And then all of a sudden he looks over his shoulder and there's an old guy back there watching him. And he goes, that old man staring at me, staring at the ruin, doesn't even seem to notice my presence. That's odd. And he goes on a hunch. The masked man hunter follows the pathetic figure down narrow, crooked streets. And I'm like, why is he pathetic? He's just an old guy. It's pathetic. I don't know. <laughs> what makes the dialogue is pathetic. I'm just thinking, I hope I don't run into Batman anytime soon. He's going to tell me I'm pathetic just because I'm, you know, <laughs> not 20 years old. Like, come on, man. <laughs> but soon he's entering that hospital home and Batman goes in. Of course, no one in Holland is surprised to see the Batman running around. He just walks right in and talks to a doctor there, right? Okay, brother, brother Batman will come in. <laughs> yeah, he has no name. Mine hair, Batman. His identity and memory were lost in the terror bombing years ago. <laughs> we let him go out on walks alone. He always comes back. Don't know where he goes. And Batman goes, Blazes, that thing. Where did I see it before? I remember. It's a replica of the sculpture in Peter Voss's office. So, dun, dun, dun. Wow, just that without just a stroke of luck. To find mm -hmm. the only pile of rubble in all of reconstructed Holland. <laughs> and then we have a caption box walking here. around with a statue that you've seen before. Yeah, the caption box says, has the Batman found a new interest in art or something that will bust the mystery wide open in part three coming up next? <laughs> yeah, let's end part two. Bob needs to go take a hit of scotch. <laughs> yeah. And when he comes back for part three, witness for a dead man. Wow. So we're back all the way across the world to this unnamed place where wildcat is laying half dead in uh, you know in a mountain somewhere by a hunting lodge right yep and mm -hmm. just happened to see a cougar yeah so wildcat is about to be attacked by a wildcat but luckily green arrow shows up right i was just gonna say this is totally ollie it's ollie he's on one of his zen walkabouts 
Of course, it's Ollie. Who the hell else would be out there as an archer living by himself? And if I don't know how familiar you are with the old Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. There was a storyline very close towards the end where Ollie did go out and live as a hermit because he had accidentally killed someone and he racked up the aeroplane and dived into a Zen monastery somewhere. And uh, so there we go. Maybe Ollie just kind of disappears now and then and finds himself. Well, and just by the clothing this guy is wearing alone, like this this big cat, as they call it, uh, tries to jump on a wildcat here, and you see an arrow right into its uh, rib cage, and it's uh, dead or just about. And uh, there's a guy coming to see if wildcat's okay, and he thinks to himself, this one don't look like the them dudes from the lodge. Just some flesh wounds. My my herbs and roots will have to have him party in no time. So, <laughs> yeah. Wildcat's it's Denny O'Neill's herbs and roots. <laughs> yeah, they're smoking some herb, I think, is what's going on here. <laughs> Three days later. So mm. this time just keeps ticking away here. Yeah, so three days later, he has the, 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 the cycle here, the Caddo cycle here, and he's fit Wait, and as, a, as a fiddle. Where did the cycle come from? Did Ollie mm-hmm. go and find his Caddo cycle? Yeah, maybe Ollie went and got it. <laughs> right oh my gosh he goes wildcat monologues got to get back maybe with that what i know about radix death we'll be able to hang sanford and his whole crew and i'm thinking "Mm, i don't know about that wildcat because first of all you were the only witness you worked for this company but you were in a hero guise of wildcat like how's that gonna work and your uh your your stretchy site uh your stretchy costume has bandages all underneath it you got wounds and everything else. Yeah, I'm not sure all this would stand up in court, but uh, we get another uh, uh, interlude here soon. And we see Sanford back at the office here. Champ, glad you're back. The Voss trial starts tomorrow, and the company needs your heavyweight image in court. And he thinks to himself, the cold-blooded criminal doesn't know I'm really working for the other side as Wildcat. But what's happened to Batman? So, yeah, now we need to figure out, yeah, what is happening with Batman? And we get our, uh, you know, uh, courtroom drama here, right? Let's remember this is a civil case. Nobody is charging anybody with anything. What we have is a lawsuit. Voss is suing Triton. And, but we're treating this almost like it's a murder trial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the judge, what does he say? Mr. Peter Voss, you have offered no proof of your dead father having prior patent claim on Miracle 2000 nor do you offer proof that its formula was stolen from you. I have no alternative but to decree the sole rights rest with... One moment, Your Honor. (laughs) Here we go. Here's Batman out of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, not only is he out of nowhere, but he commands the courtroom. All of a sudden, he's the advocate for Voss. Yeah. Wait a minute. Where where is your uh, where's your where's your law license? Where's your LLB there, uh, Batman? Yeah, he just walks into this courtroom like I'm here, and I'm going to tell everybody now how it's going to go on. Like there's no procedure to this at all. He just walks in, and he has this old man with him, and he says, "I present to the court this eyewitness to the formula's original discovery, Hans Voss." All of our discovery is happening right in the trial. 
what the hell? I'm sorry. I don't know if you've ever been sued before, but I have. And I saw four lawyers and never did hit a courtroom before it got discharged. <laughs> it all happens behind doors. Mm-hmm. And it Peter does go to a trial. Well, it's very short. Yeah, Peter then, my God, father, alive. I can't believe it. And Batman says, sorry, but he probably won't recognize you right away. His mind's been in a fog since the war. And then the judge chimes in. Do I understand that this witness has lost his memory and cannot testify properly? And Batman says, yes, your honor, but I can prove that he did indeed invent the formula and that it was stolen. So here we go into these uh, crazy shenanigans, right, with the statue. At what point did the judge just stop and say, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> uh-huh. When did, Mr. Voss, when, when, at what point did you just discharge your counsel and hire this, the guy in the mask and the cape that just walked in with an old man that doesn't know anything? Uh-huh. When did this get allowed, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and everybody's just jumping up and talking. The judge, you know, there's Sanford gets up and starts calling everybody liar, 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 liar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Batman just turns this into a, he's turned this into a criminal one right away. Mm-hmm. Just by accusing B.B. Sanford. And Sanford, you know, he doesn't sit in there waiting for his advocate. He just jumps up and yells, liar, liar, liar. <laughs> Liar, liar, pants on fire, and you don't have a shred of proof. And Batman says, Your Honor, I now present proof of these charges. Thirty years ago, when he discovered the formula, Hans Voss could have written it down in the usual way, but he feared its theft, or he could have made an uh, atomic model such as this one of another compound, but that too could have been easily deciphered and stolen. Instead, he created a disguised atomic model of Miracle 2000, this sculpture. So now we have the sculpture that, you know, uh, didn't seem like a big deal earlier in the story popping up, right? And Batman has a tiny atomic model in his cape. In mm-hmm. his- <laughs> Pull that out of his backside. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he tinkered that together on the plane ride over from Holland where he was allowed to take a mental patient away from a hospital to come to the United States, right? You know, sure, no problem. <laughs> oh, the guy in the bat costume in the hood that we don't know who he is. Go, get on the board. Bellboard. Sure. Yeah, sure, no problem. This guy that's dressing up in his, you know, underoos here, where we're going to just send this old man that's uh, mentally unstable off with him. No problem. <laughs> but Batman goes through everything that we've seen so far about how he created this formula and how this... The, this, the holes that are in this statue, uh, the distance between them, uh, represented the relationship between the additives atoms, just as the rods and balls do on the usual model. So there was, a, you know, some shenanigans afoot here. And he goes, for years, the sculpture was Peter in Peter Voss's lab, where this man, L.K. Dowling, alias Raddick, a notorious industrial spy, deciphered its secret and sold the formula for Triton Corporation. You know, I do like the idea of the statue. It's a great little, yeah. what do you call that plot device? MacGuffins. Uh, yeah, MacGuffin. It's a great yep. MacGuffin. I think it's wonderful. And the best part about it was it was introduced earlier in the checkoff method. You know, yeah. for no reason we have this crazy statue over here in the lab. 
and then suddenly we have a callback just before the story ends. Yeah. And I think that's great. I think that's really good storytelling. Yeah. So this we go to from zero to 60 in like no time flat here where, you know, uh, we have Ted Grant who's there. And he says, right on, Batman. And I accuse B.B. Sanford of murdering Raddick to silence him and claiming it was a hunting accident. Wait a minute, Ted. You're sitting on the defendant's side. And you're disclosing stuff that you only know from running around in a Halloween costume. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. He's outing himself (laughs) now as Wildcat then by saying that, right? I mean, it's, it's crazy. Sanford says, what? How could you know that? Whose side are you on, champ? And uh, the judge Sanford says, got a point. Yeah, and the judge says, Mr. Sanford, your admission is a serious matter. I order you to come forward and explain this to the court. And then all we hear is, the game's up, BB. And I'm thinking it's Batman. But no, it's that Man Freddy guy, right? Hey, everybody stay cool. Okay, boss, I got the car outside. Come on. And he's got a machine gun. Where's, like, the bailiff and stuff like that? Yeah, this is the greatest courthouse ever. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, what in the world? And they took away my multi-tool to go buy a, to do, pay a parking ticket. <laughs> yeah, well, Ted, Batman, they're getting away. And Batman says, let them go for now, Ted. That chopper could tear this room apart. <laughs> and then, and after the courtroom door swings shut, Buddha, Buddha, Ted, look out. So they shut the courtroom doors, and he turns around and starts, like, shooting, you know, popping off a few rounds into the courtroom, right? Yeah. And by the time it's safe to emerge, gone, no sign of them. I bet they're heading for the plant and the company plane. Quick, that cycle. And there just happens to be a motorcycle nearby, right? <laughs> okay, Vigilante's been leaving his stuff around. Mm-hmm. There they are. Let's take them, Ted. And, and you know, the keys are in the ignition, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Or they hotwired it. No time flat, man. <laughs> But, you know, that crazy uh, Manfredi guy, he's got his uh, machine gun here, and he's hanging out of the car shooting at them and got to take evasive action. And Batman says, no good, Ted. We're getting going to get burned this way. And he goes, then we'll go cross-country. So they decide to follow along just on a little bit wider of a berth here, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Batman, this is taking too long. Don't reach the jet before we can intercept. And Ted, check. Only one thing to try. Cutting through the refinery. And he's cutting through the refinery, all right. And they uh, do catch up uh, before they can get on the plane, right? Yeah. And the oil tanks here just happen to have ramps on them. <laughs> For the bike. <laughs> you know, I worked around a lot of oil field stuff and uh, oil tanks and things like that. And I worked around a lot of scaffolds. I never ever once saw that had a ramp to the top of the tank. <laughs> you know how long that <laughs> ramps has to be? <laughs> At an yeah. end to one to the top of an oil tank. Yeah, that would be one really long ramp. <laughs> and uh, coming down onto the tarmac of an airport is even better. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love how Batman, he just, you know, they get there right before they're ready to board the plane. Seconds later, and uh, Man Freddy says, stand clear, I'll blast them. But they get there uh, soon enough where Batman, you know, can just avoid a couple of shots, I guess. And he goes, somebody's going to be hurt, all right. But it's not us. And he clobbers that Matt Freddy guy and knocks him out with one punch, it looks like. Uh, right. And then, punch. Yeah, he was such a tough underground enforcer. One punch knocked him out. <laughs> but and this Ted, is the part I like when Ted stows the gas eating Bronco. Uh huh. And he goes, just a minute, fellow board members. 
try this on your corporate image, killer. And he left hand, boom, knocks out Sanford, and then a right hand to the gut uh, to this other board member, right? And Ted's uh, Ted has just enacted his golden parachute package. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, that guy had a gun too, by the way. And he goes, and that gun isn't going to do you any good, old buddy. And the guy drops the gun as he punches him, right? And from this point in time, oh yeah, I love this. Guess all that public relations handshaking kept the old Armstrong. <laughs> and then later, back in that same courtroom, right? The same courtroom, yeah, we reconvene after the chase. <laughs> Three hours later, let's just go right back to that same courtroom that had nothing to do with this case. You know, yeah, uh, <laughs> there's no discharges, no mistrust. I think at this point, usually you would just, the judge would say, Slam the okay. This guys go back and start again. Mm -hmm. The judge says, Gentlemen, this court finds the true rights to the Miracle 2000 formula belong to Hans Voss and his heirs. And uh, Peter says, Father, we won. And Batman, he seems to understand, Peter, stirred no doubt by the same dim memory which made him create that crude replica of the sculpture and haunt his old lab ruins, luckily for us. So he snapped out of it just like that. And with that, the 1973 OPEC energy crisis was solved. <laughs> yeah, and we're well, all riding around on our plutonium bikes now. And our DeLoreans, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, Peter says, yes, Batman. And luckily for the entire world, to which Miraclo two th or Miraclo 2000 now belongs. The end. <laughs> the bosses are now down to the STP factory. Mm, oh my gosh yeah so that was awesome i loved it what a good story right it was so much fun it's one of those fun handy stories that you gotta love when i'm 10 years old i never saw these holes in the story mm, no the biggest yeah. thing that i ever saw was there was as much action with ted grant in his style and suit as he was in his uh his wildcat halloween costume yeah yeah it was good too man and like you said this is another one of these handy stories where you know, like we talked about on our last recording, uh, you and I, where, you know, there's no Joker, there's no Catwoman, there's no no big villain here. It's just like gangsters or corporate types. It's really, really interesting if you look back to think about how many times he really went down that road, right? And the villain is an oil company president, which is totally mm -hmm. illogical. That could not happen in our world. No, never. Corporate <laughs> types are never evil. No way. They're all benevolent. That's correct. <laughs> Can you imagine the stories where Haney would be able to write now? Oh, my God. It's oh, yeah. Your, your prescience. <laughs> it's an expose. It's not a comic book. <laughs> oh, oh, such, such good stuff. I know about that goes on to like in the oil exploration business, even around here, just even in small town service companies. I'll tell you, you could keep Bob Haney. I could have kept him in stories for a very long time. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. But yeah, I mean, apparel, you know, what can you say about him, too? It's just fantastic work from start apparel to finish. Apparel makes this. And I think the reason I became, you know, I guess a brave and bold subscriber was I loved the idea of the team up comic. Mm -hmm. uh, at this point in time, I believe they were just coming out of the world's finest experimental era where Superman was the anchor for a team up. So they were breaking up the Superman Batman. Uh, thing for a, a short period, a couple of years. Marvel team up was coming out. Uh, just after this, Marvel two and one would start. Yeah. And then they'd revive the Superman anchor formula a little bit later with DC Comics Presents. 
and Byrne would carry that on in action comics for a little bit. So I, I love the team up concept. Uh, Brave and Bold, of course, as we know, went on as a Batman anchored vehicle for you know right up till 1983 until the start of the Outsiders. And but DC always kind of missed that team up. You know, they always tried to go back to that well. Uh, back in the early, was it the 2000s? They revived the Brave and Bold title. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and uh, there were some great imaginative things. And the neat part is, is if you're a team-up writer, don't try to tie this all into continuity at all. Just do something wacky and crazy. You know, you own Batman, you own Commandy. Get them together. Who cares if they're 200 years apart? You know, <laughs> you, you want to see... You want to, this is the, the, the way to take everybody and put them all in the sandbox, just like Justice League Unlimited, and play with the toys. And at the end of the Marvel, at the end of the team up story, they're all still back in the box and you can still play with them over in, um, in your regular books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just, we yeah, don't need zero hours. We don't need crises to explain them. Batman and Wildcat appear. Do we need some cosmic conflagration to understand why Ted Grant is there? No, it's a story that occurs on the ground. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, I think that is definitely something, not only team-up books, but the idea of just having these stories that you don't have to have every specific little detail to them. You know, they just, they are what they are. You don't, They don't have to be on a certain earth at a certain time in a certain place. They're just kind of ambiguous about a lot of stuff, but it's it's a lot of fun, right? Well, exactly. You know, and a few issues down the road, you'd have Batman and Mr. Miracle. Well, how do you put those together? Well, Heaney shoves that into an Egyptian tomb raiding thing. Mm-hmm. With Char- yeah. the gods, mm-hmm. which is yeah. a huge thing in the in the uh, in the pop culture world about that point in time. So Heaney's, you know, is great at taking out of the zeitgeist. As I said, the OPEC energy crisis is on everybody's lips at this point in time and even if you're a kid you're still watching the news and you're still seeing the these uh, headlines as you're on the way to the comics page to find out what snoopy's up to but you still see you know like why are there lineups at the pumps why is mom and dad complaining about the price of gas all of a sudden and you know why are you know why is egypt and israel trying to kill each other over oil and you know so these are things that are are in our zeitgeist. Um, I saw it probably more than most because the 1970s, because of the OPEC energy crisis, was the rise of uh, the province of Alberta and the Canadian energy scene. And we still see the effects of that today politically, very much so. Oil runs our province. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still like, you know, a lot of these uh, things that they're talking about in this comic with, you know, fuel and energy and oil and corporations and all this kind of stuff it's it's kind of interesting to think about how you know some things have evolved but other things are still kind of the same right i mean exactly and you know we we still see it here as a force despite the addition of miracle 2000 (laughs) we're still you know we're still here and the fossil fuels are are still dictating our lives and you know and i'm not against alternative energies one bit uh We've got windmills around here like crazy that are powering into the electrical grid. But 
as we find out, you know, there's no free lunch from anything. There's got to be a balance in finding, uh, you know, the miracle 2000, as it were, the, the MacGuffin that's going to get us out of our crises. But I guess that's not something we're going to solve in Brave and the Bold. <laughs> Probably not, especially if it's written by Mr. Haney. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> all right, well. Uh, all right, well, that's going to wrap us up here about this one. You know, uh, again, good having you on, my friend. But uh, if anybody uh, wants to listen to you or find you out there on the socials, uh, where can they uh, find you? Well, I haven't been blown off of Twitter yet, so I'm at Tolton Gord. I've also got a Facebook page that is under the name of Prairie Justice, the Greg Sanders Vigilante Podcast. And, oh, by the way, there's a podcast called Prairie Justice, the Greg Sanders Vigilante Podcast which you can find on Podbean, Apple, uh, I think uh, Google's uh, widget, whatever that's called these days. Uh Uh, Whatever podcatcher you're looking for, it's not hard to find. Uh, We're going through it sort of as an index style. I'm kind of stepping on your toes a little bit lately because I've been talking about vigilante connections in the All-Star Squadron. Uh Um, I'm hoping to actually be past that because this... Vigilantes, despite uh, appearing in Seven Soldiers of Victory retellings, um, Vigilante didn't have that big of impact in that title. But he does appear. He gets to say things like, ready and loaded for bear, (laughs) ma'am. And, uh, you know, so at that point in time, once I get past sort of his connection with All-Star Squadron Crisis, uh, we're just going to carry on with his action comic stories until they run out which is going to be a very long time. I'm just getting set to uh, laying down the tracks for uh, leading comics number four, uh, Reimagining, which also has a crisis tie-in, but I'm not going to dwell on that. So we're just going to carry on, and uh, you'll hear uh, you'll hear episodes as I get them done. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I'll have all the stuff in the show notes, too, with all the socials and links to... Uh you know, the podcast and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's everybody get out there and uh, uh, give support uh, to the show. It's it's good stuff and it's a, a lot of hard work uh, that's put into it as well. And I definitely am one who appreciates it. Well, thank you very much, Billy. It's great to have being on here again. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for coming on. And we will definitely get our uh, heads together to, uh, you know, think about something for down the road. Maybe, you know, another Brave and the Bold or another... We could even have another uh, Vigilante in the Bronze Age, you know, backups uh, from World's Finest or something like that. We'll definitely have something in the future. Absolutely there, partner. All Thanks right, my friend. Let me revisit this bit of childhood ephemera. Yeah, this is fantastic. So, all right, my friend. Well, I'm going to let you go at this point and then uh, jump back in a minute after a quick break to wrap things up. You're listening to Prairie Justice. A Greg Sanders Vigilante Podcast is an exploration of the DC Comics character, the first superhero to use the name of the Vigilante. First published in Action Comics 42 in September 1941, amid comics' golden age and carried as a continuous feature, during those years the Vigilante was also a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory and was one of the first DC heroes to appear on the cinema screen in his own serial. Reappearing in the Bronze Age, the Vigilante had a 1970s renaissance throughout the DC Universe. Greg Saunders, the Prairie Troubadour, leads a double life as a modern country and western musician, while also delivering justice throughout North America as a masked crime fighter, using the tactics and weapons of his rural Wyoming upbringing 
With his friends Billy Gunn and Stuff Leong, many a nefarious scheme was foiled with six guns, ingenuity, a motorcycle, and a twirling lariat. Howdy, I'm Ranger Gord. Help me follow the trail of the vigilante on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play.